pressure over the last going on 23 years now and uh, very little respite from that so it was nice and I got thinking about the desert a little bit when I sit in the mountains that's home to me as the naturalist John Muir says when you go to the woods you go home Uh, that was the way it was with him but I grew up in a more or less desert in West Texas and hated it and my granddad had a hunting lodge up in the Sangre de Cristos in northern New Mexico on a, with a beautiful view of the mountains and the trees and a creek coming around the little knoll that the cabin was on and there were fish there. And, and when you're coming from West Texas and go up into the mountains, you notice a difference uh, in the way things are. So I fell in love with the mountains very early in life. And you know what I came to? I don't think I'd ever clarified this thought. But God hates desert. Don't you know that? You may not like this heat and desert and dryness, but God doesn't either. He says He's going to make the deserts blossom as the rose. And He's going to take the deserts away. There will be no more deserts in the kingdom of God. Because it's desolate, dry, forbidding area with everything that sticks and pinches and bites. Well, it's not as bad as the east in some ways. Were, were there more bugs and things that crawl and creep and bite and sting but, but the desert is just a dry inhospitable area and even though I enjoy the red rocks and some of the things that there are around here um, I just don't like deserts sorry I like trees and lakes and creeks and rivers uh, and that's the way it's going to be so God doesn't like these conditions any better than you and I do And as you think back, Garden of Eden was green and beautiful and plenteous and needed cared for. And their punishment was to get kicked out into the desert area where there would be weeds and brambles and no rain and have to work by the sweat of the brow to earn a living. So deserts really are a result of sin. And that has to be fixed. So I was thankful to get away from the desert for a little while and and have a chance to truly enjoy some of the more beautiful areas that God has made that are more hospitable to us and and so on. So thank you for putting up with me being gone for a bit, but uh, I I think it helped me, which in turn should help you (laughs) if if I can be uh, more... It is and more efficient in what I do. Anyway, uh, I did do some thinking at least. And uh, a particular man in the Bible came to mind several times. And what he decided to do about some circumstances that he was dealing with in life. And the man had some complaints. He had some attitudes Uh, He had some unresolved issues uh, that he didn't really know how to handle, and he kind of got after God a little bit about it. And it's interesting that that man was on the scene at just a specific time when destruction was about to come, and there was a lot of trouble in the air and a lot of confusion. And he was having to deal with that. 
And he reminds me of us in many, many respects because we're here at the end expecting trouble, expecting a financial collapse, expecting war to begin soon. And the war drums keep beating louder and quicker, it seems, uh, as the weeks go by. And we, therefore, have issues that we have to deal with uh, that we have to, in some ways, put at rest. And in other, in other ways, we have to see what we need to do during a period of time like this. So you've probably already guessed by now I'm talking about Habakkuk, uh, one of the minor prophets. Now, not only was he minor in terms of the amount that he wrote, as opposed to major like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, he was a man who was very obscure. I don't know how obscure he was in his day among the people that he was around, but history records nothing about him. He, it was like he just kind of came out of nowhere and went back into nowhere. But he had a very important message uh, from God and about God and about attitude toward God. So I want to go back to the book of Habakkuk today. And let's review. We've been over it before, but maybe it'll come a little clearer now considering time that has gone by since and events that we're perhaps now dealing with in more direct ways than we were when I went through this back in 97 and 98 and, and have referred to in several instances since. But uh, Habakkuk apparently means embrace or embracer in Hebrew. But they're not even sure he had a Hebrew name. Uh, commentators say it may have been an Akkadian name. So really we know nothing about him. And uh, the message that God has for the church today uh, is obscure. How many people throughout the re remaining part of the church of God have a clue what all these prophecies are even talking about? It's just not there. So Habakkuk was an obscure man, and I think it only goes to say that the message that we have for today is also very obscure. Uh, people just don't, they want to hear it. They don't want to pick up on it. They don't want the boat rocked. We came into Worldwide and we want things just like they were, they were there. So we have the ministers who are trying to replicate what Worldwide was and the majority of the people who came out of that who still remained sort of with the church have followed that line of thinking themselves. So the big organizations are basically people of that thinking. Smaller ones have gotten off on different avenues, different focuses, and so on, but all the major ones are still trying to replicate what was. And anything apart from that, they simply do not want to hear, would not believe, and you point it out in the scripture and it falls on deaf ears. That's just where we are right now. So, the book of Zephaniah, right after Habakkuk, opens with how God is going to destroy what is here now and 
immediately starts talking about the financial crash that is going to come through the nations of Israel, particularly this one, and how the people are to gather ahead of that. Now, whether that means some obscure little group would gather, or whether it means the bigger gathering remains to be seen. But we responded to it, did we not? It's why we're here. And it is getting very, very close to that time when the financial crash will occur. So Habakkuk, put in a modern framework, was writing what he wrote, and the complaints that he had were just before the financial crash of Zephaniah. So it fits right where we are today, knowing that many prognosticators, uh, apart from the mainstream media, are saying that this fall or early next year, uh, they feel that this whole thing's coming down. Of course, some of them have been saying that for the last several years, year after year, because the signs are all there. But it is getting much closer as time goes on. So let's see what Habakkuk had to say. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. So this starts out as a burden, uh, a heavy, a heaviness, if you will, a difficult time, bad conditions. You know, when, you, when you're carrying a burden, you're emotionally weighed down, you can be physically weighed down if it's a physical burden. So this is a spiritual, a mental, and an emotional burden that he's talking about here. And he saw it. Now, God revealed some things to him, obviously, for him to see uh, not only what was happening in the nation and what was coming, but to understand in the light of God, because he talks about God in here. So he had a relationship with God, whoever he was, and he had a burden or a message from God that he was to give. Now, he immediately, in verse 2, begins with a complaint. <laughs> and it's a complaint you and I have voiced many, many times. It's something we have felt very deeply over and over here in these end times. O Eternal, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Now, think of this in terms of one generation, in terms of one lifetime. When were we called into the church? A few of us as early as the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. Uh, most before the 80s that are here today and are gray or bald or whatever. Uh, we've been around for a long, long time. Uh, I got thinking about that a little bit. I have been anticipating all these things since I was approximately eight years old in 1952 and 53 when we first began to listen to Herbert Armstrong talking about how the nation was going to be destroyed. And here we are nearly 65 years later. No, more than that. I, well, about that, yeah. Uh, so, you and I have dealt with this question for a long, long time, haven't we? How many times have you, over the years, I'm not speaking to you young'uns, but you older people, thought, how long is this going to last? And the church was saying, 
it's all coming apart in 72 and Christ will be back in 75. And we thought that was a long time away back in the 50s and 60s. When will that ever get here? And then we kept setting dates forward and it still hadn't and still hasn't to this day. And I'm an old man. And from my very, very youth, I've been wondering how long, O Lord. And we have prayed. And for the most part, he hasn't heard. Now, he was hearing a lot back in the 50s and 60s. There were more healings. There was more going on spiritually than there is and was since things began breaking apart in the 80s, really in the 70s when the ministry started to rebel. <coughs> and we've all been watching all of this scenario all these years and saying, when is this ever going to end and when is God going to hear? And we've often wanted and needed healings and didn't get them from the 70s and 80s on. We've had some. We've had some recently. In fact, I just got a text this morning from somebody who was anointed a few weeks ago and had a significant health issue uh, and just said that last night suddenly realized it was gone. Just gone. Uh, so... Maybe we're at the time where God is beginning to hear now and then. We've had some recently where things have changed pretty dramatically around Passover time, didn't we? So, how long will we pray and He will not hear? Maybe He's beginning to. I certainly hope so. Even cry out to you of violence and you will not save. So we have violence all around us and it's increasing and all kinds of problems across the country and around the world. Uh, hardly a day goes by that you don't hear of some murder-suicide or school attack or officers being shot or officers shooting innocent people. Or, I mean, it's just, there's violence everywhere. It's getting worse, just like it was before Noah's flood. How long before you save? Why do you show me iniquity? And cause me to behold grievance. For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are those that raise up strife and contention. So, isn't this our complaint? How long before the violence stops, the people in the world put putting pressure on us, and more especially maybe some of our neighbors? Quit giving us grief. Uh, when I first went through this in 1970-98, or 1978, uh, what am I trying to say? 1997 and 98, uh, we didn't have some of the problems we got right now. It's gotten worse. The strife and contention all around us. And that's a burden, isn't it? Isn't that heavy? Isn't that what he said up here? Here's a burden. And we're wearing it. <laughs> This is an end-time prophecy. We're wearing it right now. Therefore, the law is slacked, and judgment does never go forth. People are breaking the law. They're lying. They're cheating. They're stealing land. Saying that they deserve things that they never were promised that they would have. And God said that that would happen right here. We've got scriptures I can go to and show you that it would happen right here. 
and what God is ultimately going to do about it. But in the meantime, you and I are sitting here saying, oh, when is this going to go away? How long? Now, he had a legitimate gripe, didn't he? In a way. Well, let's see what he does with it, because that's important. You can have a grievance, a gripe, a frustration. What do you do with it? What do you do with it? Two sermons were given while I was gone from way back in the past about patience. And I think they were well chosen uh, for right now. And uh, probably those old sermons were better than I could have done today in that sense because they were given back in, what, 2001 or two, somewhere along in 202. Uh, And yet they fit even better today than they did then. (laughs) To wait in joyful patience... Uh, impatience we can wait in. Patience comes harder. Joyful patience is even more difficult. (laughs) There's a couple, three upgrades there in the level of what we should have as a mindset and mentality and an emotional view at this point. So he was having difficulty with it when when he saw this burden from God. He says, the wicked does compass about the righteous. It seems like the wicked are all around, and what do we do about it? Now, doesn't that remind you of David a lot in the Psalms? Uh, He had some complaints, too. He was a man after God's own heart, but he hated the wickedness. He hated the hate, the animosity, uh, that which his enemies were trying to do, like kill him, for instance. Uh, David was beset with all kinds of problems in his kingdom. And yet he was a man of God, uh, one of the chosen few who will be king over all Israel in the the millennium and throughout all eternity. Uh, So he had his frustrations, and he voiced them to God. And Habakkuk is voicing his frustration here. So it is not wrong when we are frustrated to voice our frustrations, our grievances, our troubles to God. I mean, that's what you pray about, isn't it? Is to somehow get past those and work toward an attitude. So, he just comes straight out of the gate with his problem. (laughs) Oh God, why am I having to put up with this? Therefore, wrong judgment proceeds. Things are happening that are wrong, and yet nothing seems to be being done about it. What do you do about it? I know I've had that frustration here with things right here on this property. It, the iniquity is proceeding. It's getting worse. What do you do about it? You go to the courts of the land, and they know nothing of the ways of God. They know nothing of true Christianity, and most of them today uh, are liberal, democratic, non-constitutional, non-law people. So, how can you plead constitution? Falls on deaf ears. We have constitutional rights, but no one will honor them. And on and on it goes. And wrong judgment, therefore, proceeds and seems to be doing fine. Meanwhile, we suffer because of it. 
Behold you among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously. Now God's speaking here. For I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. So he voices his complaint. Everything's going haywire. <laughs> Hell in a handbasket. Whatever expression you want to use. What are you going to do about it? So then God begins to say, All right. Behold you among the heathen and regard and wonder marvelously. He says, I'm going to tell you something here that in spite of your frustrations and chagrin and difficulties is going to happen. I will work a work in your days. Now again, this is an end time prophecy. And this book was actually written right after Nineveh and the Assyrian had fallen historically. And the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, uh, were coming into power having taken Nineveh and were at this point beginning to besiege Jerusalem. So, it's a little reversed here. We have... In this country, we have Babylon the Great, the leader of the current Babylonian system of Satan. And we have the Assyrian, who is coming to destroy Babylon instead of the other way around. That's the way it's set up now. All the prophecies talk about the Assyrian doing this and destroying Babylon, the system that we have in our own country. But here, the Assyrian had just gone down, and the Babylonian was on the ascension. So he says to us, this being an end-time prophecy, written for those upon whom the ends of the world have come, I work a work in your days. Now, does that remind us of Matthew 24, where Christ says, This generation that I'm calling here at the end will not die out until these things happen. And there will still be old men around who saw the former temple at its best and will see the latter temple at its best. So this is talking about who? You, 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 me. It's talking about us right now. This is a right now prophecy. A work in our days which you will not believe... It'll be hard to comprehend and understand, even though you're told. Because that which has not happened seems like it will never get here and never happen. And in my experience, that is true. From about age 8 until today, I've been reading this stuff and it hasn't happened. Well, now some of it has. And in increasing increments, some of it has. And it's getting worse and worse. But, I mean, the culmination of it all and what God says is going to be the wind-up party has not occurred. Things that we're looking for have occurred in small amounts, but not in big amounts yet. So he says, this is what I'm telling you is going to happen, whether you believe it or not. Okay? For lo, I will raise up the Chaldeans, that is, the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. Now, Isaiah 5 says that our houses 
will be taken away. In fact, in the next book in Zephaniah 1, down in, uh, where is it, uh, verse 13, when this financial collapse comes, therefore their goods shall become booty. Booty to who? Those who are in charge and running things and taking everything over. And their houses a desolation. They shall also build houses, but not inhabit them, and plant vineyards, but not drink the wine thereof. And then it's in the context of the great day of the Lord is near, it is near. So, all these McMansions we've built, and all of the nice homes and the infrastructure of this country are going to be taken away. And it's going to be done before the Assyrian shows up, by the Babylonians around us. The politicians, the big corporations, they're taking things over. They're destroying the middle class, even as we sit here today, and the rich are getting rich, and the poor are getting poorer, and there's more and more poor and less and less middle class. Just the way it is. Go to college now so you can make tacos. They'll march through the breadth of the land and take your houses away from you. Now, this is just what he wanted to hear. <laughs> you know, here he is complaining about how bad things are, and God says, Okay, I'm going to tell you a story. You think it's bad now? It's about to get worse. That's what he says, isn't it? They'll come through the land and take your houses. They're terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. They're going to think only of themselves. All their judgments, all their decisions are going to be about them. Uh, their dignity, their power, their self-esteem is all going to be about them, and they'll, they'll care less about you. Don't you see that in some of the news that you're reading today? about how you have less and less rights and everything's being taken away and they're preparing for martial law to destroy you and your houses and take it all away from you? That's right where we are. And that's where Zephaniah says it's all going to go. So, they'll only think of themselves. They will not consider you. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves, and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hastes to eat. I saw an eagle the other day just fly right down out of the sky and plop in the lake and grab a fish and run off. Fly off. Quite a sight to see. That's what he's talking about. The eagle that hastes to eat drops out of the sky, attacks something, and hauls it off. Rabbit, fish, whatever. The rabbit and the fish are helpless. They can do nothing about it. He says, you're going to be health. You'll, you'll be helpless. With these horses, with these eagles, I mean, it's talking about things that can destroy, and they're swift, and what are you going to do about it? This, this just get, keeps getting worse here for, for Habakkuk. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup... As the east wind. The east wind was known as a very dry, hard wind. Desert wind. And it ate or supped on that which was green and living and wet and blew it away and made it desert. So he says, these, 
these people are going to come and they're going to take everything green before them. Now that's the description Joel has about how the locusts and everything come and they strip everything ahead of, of them. So he's talking about armies here that are going to be like that. And they shall gather the captivity as the sand. Now, we were promised to become as the sands of the sea. And now he says these are going to come and kill like the sand. Now, you see a sand pile. Go over here to Coral Pink Sand Dunes. You see a lot of sand, right? How many grains of sand is that? Uh, you couldn't begin to count a handful, much less a sand dune full. So Ezekiel's prophecy about 90% and plus of our people being destroyed is like the sand. The, the, we have become as the sand, 300 and some million of us. You include the other Israelite nations and it could easily come to five or 600 million. And yet we'll be destroyed like the sands on the sea were before. We gather the captivity up just like trucks of sand. And they shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be a scorn to them. So, the people, I think this is talking about those elitists behind the scene now, who are the puppeteers, because the politicians and the presidents and the vice presidents and the congressmen and all of that, they laugh at because they're the ones with the real power. And all of these kings and high officials are just puppets in their hands doing their bidding. I think that should become obvious to us by now. They'll just scoff at them and use them as useful idiots and then kill them too. I think we're going to lose both our president and our vice president at some point along the line. Isaiah 7 says that we'll lose both our kings, both our leaders. Well, that appears to be in the Scripture. And it says there in Jeremiah 15, 51, somewhere right in there, that, uh, that our leadership will give their hand to the Assyrian who's coming to destroy, that is, to the elitists behind the scenes. They're going to agree with them and they're going to sell us out. And can't you see that they've been selling us out now for several different uh, uh, presidents as time has gone on? I mean, this, this is all right now. It's, I mean, just look at it. It's, it's here. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. So our military, our defense will mean nothing. Uh, they'll... They'll put down every stronghold, every fort, every defense. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this his power to his God. So the Chaldeans, the Babylonians around us, uh, are going to come after this nation. And then it's going to get worse, because he's going to change and pass over in some way, I'm not sure exactly how. There is a scripture that talks about how they'll pass over the Holy Land, but I'm not sure that has uh, meaning here. It could. 
but he was going to pass over to a greater power. He will offend, imputing this, his power, to his God. Well, who's the Chaldean and Babylonian God? Satan the devil. So, this is going to become an outright passage from what looks evil today, but in some respects, unless you know what some people are doing, does not appear totally satanic. But when you read the book of Revelation, and in Daniel... You see the hand of Satan there with the great signs and wonders that these men will be perpetrating on the earth. Miracles, all kinds of signs and wonders, just like in Egypt where their wise men tried to eclipse what Moses and Aaron were doing. And it worked for a while. But it's going to be outright, obvious, open Satanism. And we're getting very, very close to that in our country today where you can go to various sources and read about how this politician is a Satanist and this movie star worships Satan. It's, it's becoming very, very obvious. So that change in mind is beginning to occur where not only do they worship Satan in uh, secret rituals, now it's coming right out in the open. And they will attribute it to power that they're being given to Satan. And the whole world is going to follow that lead. That's where it's headed. God's telling us a story about what's going on right here and now. Then Habakkuk picks it up again. Are you not from everlasting, O eternal my God, my Holy One? What's, what are you talking about here? Haven't you been around forever? Uh... It should say, you shall not die here, not we in the Hebrew. He's talking to God about God's eternal existence. That you've been around all this time and you're not going to die. O eternal, you have ordained them for judgment. And O mighty God, you have established them for correction. So he says, you're telling me these people are going to come and kill us all off. But I know from other things that you've said that you're going to punish the wicked. So how come the wicked are reigning over us and it's going to get worse? Even worse than it now is. He's still complaining here. <laughs> He's having trouble getting his mind around all this. We see trouble out there all around us and all around the world. Wars and rumors of wars and... Uh, volcanoes and earthquakes and things are getting more and more and we see all this coming just like Matthew 24 says. And in one way it's encouraging that we see that it's coming, but on the other hand, it's a little frightening because more and more we see pressure coming and anybody who obeys God inevitably is going to have pressure put on them. And the pressure is going to increase on anyone who is even called a Christian, whether he's a true Christian or not. We see the whole Islamic world taking over Europe and Canada and now into America. And anybody who stands for the Bible and God and Christianity in any form is an enemy of what's coming. And Satan knows the true Christian from the false Christian. And when he is cast down for the final time, he's coming after the true Christian. 
So the pressure gets worse, right? <coughs> so you've been around forever, God. You're not going to die. Why, are, why, do, why am I getting all the pressure? Why isn't it coming on them? I'm doing what's right. They're doing what's wrong. And now you're saying they're going to come and kill us. He has an issue here, doesn't he? You are of purer eyes than to behold evil. He calls on God's own character, his own mindset, and says, God, you don't like evil. You have purer eyes than that. Why are you bringing evil? <laughs> you know, that's not the way your mind works. You cannot look on iniquity. Well, he's looked on our iniquity as a church and he blew us apart. And now we're saying, when is this going to end? And when are you going to deliver us? Because we're trying to be righteous. And yet you say it's going to get worse. Wherefore, look you upon them that deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours the man that is more righteous than he. How, how can you, with your purity of mind, allow the wicked to destroy the righteous? David had the same problem there again. We have the same problem. How can this be? And make men as the fishes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. How, how come we're like fish? You know, I, I got to go fishing. Caught a lot of fish the last two and a half weeks. And you know, once they swallowed that worm and that hook, they were caught. They couldn't get off. He says, that's the way I feel, like a fish with a hook in my mouth. I, I, there's no way to get rid of it. It's just there. They pull me into shore and make me flop on the beach. That's, that's, he uses that example. And no one to guide them and lead them, no ruler to take them and protect them and, and save them. They just, you know, you've got a school of fish out there and one gets a hook at it and there's nobody there to help him. There, there's, no, there's no fish leader that can say, uh, you know, you do this to get off of that. He says, that's the way we are. They take up all of them with the angle, they catch them in their net and gather them in their drag... Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. He says, We're, we who are the, trying to be the righteous are just like fish in a, on a hook or in a net. And we can't, we're helpless. We can do nothing. And we've been that way before our enemies locally. And we're going to be that way as a nation before our enemies internationally very soon. Uh, I mean, you may, the signs are all there. It's coming. They're bypassing the U.S. dollar now. It's becoming worth less and less and less. And pretty soon we'll be totally worthless. And Americans are going to be like fish in a net. Nowhere to go. Nothing to do. No salvation. Just like we've been as a church ahead of time. You know, what's happened to us here isn't... Uh, it isn't without... God having told us ahead of time. It's always been in here. Just didn't get it. 
And now that it's happened, we read it and say, oh, yeah, I see. That was there all along. Why didn't I understand it? And the nation is going to be just like we have been very shortly now. Ours has been on a spiritual level. That's going to be more on a physical level. Well, this is a physical level in some respects, too. We're, we're suffering uh, emotional, mental, and physical issues as a result of what's been done to us right here. And it seems like they're getting away with it up to this point. And they'll be getting away with it nationally, won't they? And they rejoice and are glad. Yeah, we got them now. We're going to kill them all. Reduce it by 90%. That's their goal and their purpose. Interesting, isn't it, that Satan's goal and purpose has to do with killing over 90% of the people on the earth. And he can have that goal because God has already said it's going to happen. God's already said it's going to happen. So Satan can pursue that and he can let his minions... His humans who are running things here for him know that, hey, you can do this. God has already said it's going to happen. You can do this. And indeed they will. Now Satan, of course, himself wants all humanity destroyed. But the world leaders are set on 90% because God has already told Satan that he can have that much leeway. It's just like with Job. God said you can do this and this and this and this, but don't you kill him. I'm setting a limit. There's a boundary there. So God has told Satan the same thing. In the Scriptures, which Satan... Satan knows the Scriptures a whole lot better than you and I do. He's read them all. He's got them memorized. He knows all of them. Now, he's in darkness, and he doesn't grasp anymore true spirituality, I don't think. But, but he certainly knows these prophecies and he says, oh boy, I can kill over 90%. And he's dead set on getting it done and so are those elitists behind the scenes who have announced that. Many of them have announced it. There are quotes from them. This, this isn't just... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Conspiracy, conspiracy theorists, some of those elite people themselves have said it. David Rockefeller, many of them. It goes on and on. So, Satan knows that. He knows what he's going to be allowed to do. And mankind is going to be like fish in a net about what they're going to do to us. They have their secret society meetings and they laugh and crow and drink and think about it and oh man are we going to get them and then we'll have it all and it'll all be ours and we won't have to mess with these peons because we'll have robots to do everything we need done therefore they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their drag because by them their portion is fat and their meat plenteous <coughs> <coughs> They rejoice over what they're doing. Look what we caught. Look what we're about to catch. This is going to be fun. We're going to get them. Habakkuk's liking this more and more. <laughs> Sarcasm. 
Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually? Going to say, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that. And they'll empty their net back into the ocean and let all of us go? Not a chance. Not a chance. They have no mercy, and Satan has none. So, Habakkuk starts out with a complaint. How long are the wicked going to prosper, and when are the righteous going to have a chance? You know, we've read, you and I, a lot of prophecies about what things God is going to do here at the end and in the future. And we want that to happen. And yet here we sit. Now, I thought, I hoped that maybe this Passover and Pentecost would be significant in that. Turns out they weren't particularly, in some respects, I think, but not like Joel too. Uh, so it's a little premature yet. And yet I think that the 430 of Ezekiel and the 70 years that have ended, I believe they have, and the 65 years are still there. And God doesn't say it'll happen right at the crack of when those are done because they didn't all happen. They didn't all end at the exact same time. And I went over that, that it was in the second year of Darius then that things, they began to go to build the temple. It wasn't the first year. It wasn't immediately. It took a little while. And that fits with Ezekiel where he says it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. It is near. Uh, it won't delay. Uh, you know, it's, it's right here. Habakkuk's going to say that here in a little bit too. So it's very, very close. And it's not going to be like the echoing of the mountains again, like my history is from when I was 8, 9, 10, 14, and so on. And we keep hearing, yes, it is, yes, it is, yes, it is. And it's like a, an echo, an echo, decade after decade. Not going to be like that anymore. It's close now. Very close. So then what does he conclude? I griped. And God says, you think that's bad? It's going to get even worse. Oh, how can you put up with this, God? Well, that's what I'm going to do. Chapter 2. He backed off. He says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say to me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So he says... I recognize I've been getting frustrated and impatient and in a bad attitude here. I'm going to back off. I'm going to sit back and see what God has to say. <laughs> what is God going to do? Why am I foaming at the mouth? Why am I like a rabid skunk here? I, I think it's time I back off and stand on my watch. Well, what is a watch? When you're on the watch in the military, or you're on a watch on a walled village or something in the past, you were there watching to see if danger approached. You were there to warn if danger was coming. So a watchman was someone who was there to keep their eyes and their ears open and to observe what was coming. So he says, God says it's going to get bad. I think I better just stand back and watch and see what he has to do, what he has to say. So I'll set me on the tower. He says, I'm not giving up. I'm not going away. I'm going to go up on the tower where I can see 
and I'm going to watch. Didn't Christ say, watch and pray always as these things come near? So, Christ instructed us to do what Habakkuk decided he'd better do. And I think based on Christ's instruction and Habakkuk, which comes just before Zephaniah, we should pay close attention to this. I'll stand on the watch, I'll set me up on the tower, and I'll watch to see what he will say to me and what I shall answer when he corrects me. Now, I've been in a bad attitude here, he says. I've been frustrated. I've been impatient. And now, what am I going to say when God says, Hey, Habakkuk, uh, we need some time here to talk about this. Uh, You've had this attitude, and it's not just the Chaldeans that's the problem. You're a problem. So he says, What am I going to say when God comes to me and says to me, you've had a bad attitude. I mean, obviously, he's had a bad attitude here, right? So he's beginning to think, God might come back at me on this attitude. Did you ever have an attitude where you thought that maybe God would have something to say about what you're thinking? And that it might need to be changed? And that he might correct you or chasten you? So you lived in a little bit of fear, kind of looking out the side of your eye, when's the other shoe coming down? What's God going to do about this? And then maybe it comes across you, maybe I should do something about this. Maybe I should go in prayer and change my attitude and hope He doesn't have to reprove me. Why should I be punished? Why should I be paddled if I could just change my attitude and say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Have mercy on me. I'll patiently wait. I think those last two sermons fit very well with this. So, he's going through an attitude adjustment hour here, is what he's going through. He's, he's working on his attitude. All right? <clears throat> so, when he said, I'm going to stand back, I'm going to wait and see what God has to say, God didn't lay what he had just laid on him, on him again. Notice the instruction God gives once Habakkuk's attitude starts to change. The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that reads it. So now, God is saying here, you were in a bad attitude, I told you all the trouble that's coming. You're going through problems and those around you are prospering and you're having trouble. Now you've said, I think I'll adjust my attitude. And now God adjusts his approach to Habakkuk. This is a very, very important point for us to get. He says, I'm going to give you a vision now. And... I want you to write it plain. Here it is. Been translated, been printed. It's written on tables. Written on paper here today. That he may run that reads it. So, he says, there's something coming, and it's going to require haste. It's going to require effort and energy. 
It's not something you're going to sit and listen to and sit and do nothing. It's not something you're going to just kind of plod along and walk through. Whoever reads this needs to get it in gear. (laughs) That he may run that reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. God has an appointed time for these things. And I think he's given us signals in the scripture that say that. But at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarries, though it seems to not be coming, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not wait. Now that's exactly what Ezekiel says. Not the exact same words, but almost. There in Ezekiel 7, where the 430 days were pictured as 430 years, and then trouble would come, and it seems like it's not quite there, and like it'll never get here, but he says, just wait, it is coming, it's not going to tarry. Ezekiel said, it won't be like the echoing of the mountains. He says here, it won't wait. It'll come very soon. What came right after Habakkuk? Financial crash in Zephaniah 1. It's close. It won't tarry. I'm telling you, God says, the answers are going to begin to come to all these frustrations, these anxieties, these attitudes you've had. Get yourself in the right mood and attitude toward me and patiently, joyously waiting instead of being impatient, frustrated, upset, and beginning to say, where is God? How long, O Lord? No, back off of that. And he says, here's the answer. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. What makes us upset and frustrated? It's our own self-esteem, our ego, our vanity, our pride. And we want our answers our way when we want them. So he says, if you lift yourself up, like Habakkuk had lifted himself up against God, he started to criticize God. He started to upbraid God. He started to push at God. Perhaps in a bit of a wrong attitude. Now, I don't know how often David had a wrong attitude in that way. He kind of pushed at God in some respects. But I think Habakkuk had a worse attitude here than David did. So he says, if you're going to be lifted up in your vanity and your ego and your pride and your selfishness, uh, that won't work. He says, but the just shall live by his faith. Now, Paul quotes that in Romans. The just shall live by faith. Who was the father of the faithful? Abraham, who waited and waited and waited for a son. Well, was told to kill him. Who's the father that we're to look back to? Abraham. To Isaac. To Jacob. To Joseph. To David. They're listed there in Hebrews 11. Those are the fathers that we are to turn our hearts to, to have the same attitude that they had. So he says, all right, 
you're facing problems, they're going to get worse. Now, if you'll back up and wait patiently and just trust me, that's what faith is, is trust. Trust God. Have faith or trust that He will do what He has said He will do. Okay, you're changing your attitude. Now live in faith. What is faith? Paul defined it. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. We're looking at things right now that we've heard about, we've read about, but we've not seen. We're seeing the beginnings of, but we haven't seen the finality yet. So we have to look at the evidence around us and believe it in spite of it. That's where we are. The just shall live trusting God in faith. Yea, also, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man, neither keeps at home, who enlarges his desire as hell, and is as death, and cannot be satisfied, <coughs> but gathers to him all nations, and heaps to him all people. And he says, what's happening in the world out there is just the opposite of what you need to do. You need to humbly, meekly, serve God, trust Him that this is all going to turn out right, and in the end, we win, as Herbert Armstrong often said. That's where it's headed. But now, in the meantime, you're going to see these Chaldeans and Babylonians heaping up to themselves, and everything's going to look great to them. We're doing fine. Shall not all these take up a parable against him and a taunting proverb against him and say, Woe to him that increases that which is not his. How long? How long are the wicked going to prosper? How long is this going to happen? We see it still ongoing. Stock markets is higher than it's ever been. Way up in the stratosphere. That which goes up must come down. We know that. But how long will it hang there? (laughs) How long will this whole system hang there before it comes down? And to him that lades himself with thick clay. I suppose that is a reference to something like... uh, They didn't used to have off and and, uh, some of these insect repellents we have. But you could put thick clay on your skin to keep the bugs away. Uh, They didn't have sunscreen. You could put clay on your arms and face to keep from getting sunburned. There were things that were workable that weren't chemical and probably weren't near as bad for you as what we use today. But what was it? You laid it you you smeared the thick clay on to protect yourself from whatever it was out there, sun or insect or whatever. And that's what they're doing. They're taking care of themselves. They're building bunkers underground. They're getting ready to protect themselves from what is coming. Uh, Shall they not rise up suddenly that shall bite you, and awake that shall vex you, and you shall be for booty to them? Because you have spoiled many nations, all the remnant of the people shall spoil you, because of men's blood and for the violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwell therein. So those are the attitudes that are out there. And he says, Woe to him that covets an evil covetousness to his house, 
that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. So you have people who are trying to protect themselves, to insulate themselves from everything that they are about to do to everybody else. They're building cities under the Denver International Airport, and all kinds of things are going on where they can go and protect themselves from what they're about to do to the rest of us. He puts it here in very clear terms. You have consulted shame to your house by cutting off many people and have sinned against your soul. For the stone shall cry out of the wall and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. Woe to him that builds a town with blood and establishes a city by iniquity. God's saying, I see all this. You're complaining, Habakkuk, and it's got to get worse before it gets better. But I see what's going on. I'm watching it. I know it. I intend it. Do you think possibly some of the Israelites, when they saw some of those things happening to Egypt or to Mitzrayim, and they had been in that culture all those generations, and they looked and said, Oh my, that's kind of harsh. And and they were getting it along with it. The first few. And here we are, still in it. Still getting it. It's coming, and, and we're still suffering. Just like the Israelites did. And then God made a difference. And He will make a difference again. So He says, All of this iniquity that's been built into the system is there, and I see it. I know it's all there. The stones cry out from the infrastructure, the building, the culture that we have. God hears it. Behold, is it not of the eternal of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire, and the people shall weary themselves for very vanity? They're going to work to try to fix it, to try to survive. It's going to be hard. But that is coming. But it's going to change. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the eternal as the waters cover the sea. He says, I know all this stuff that's built into the system that's evil. But I'm going to come and establish my kingdom. Satan's is going to fall. Woe to him that gives his neighbor drink, that puts the bottle to him and makes him drunk also, that you may look on their nakedness. He says... Sit on your watch, be patient, live in faith. Don't decide to be a drunk and make all your friends drunks to hide from what is coming. Be aware, be awake, be alert. If you're sitting on your watchtower, you're still alert. That doesn't mean you can't drink. But it means don't bury yourself in alcohol or drugs or whatever to escape the reality of what is. Because as the reality is, this is all going to go away and my kingdom is going to be all over the earth, so there's no sense in drinking yourself to death in the meantime. Or Paul said, if we didn't have hope in the resurrection, we might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. New Testament story, same as this one. You are filled with shame for glory. Drink you also and let your foreskin be uncovered. Uh, the pedophilia that's going on is now starting to be uncovered. Uh, all these evil things are beginning to come to light. 
The cup of the Eternal's right hand shall be turned to you, and shame, shameful spewing shall be on all these things you've gloried in. <laughs> you, you've drunk, you've drunken of sin, and you're going to spew it all out. Just like God spewed us out. He says, all these people that are depending on this system are going to wind up throwing up. For the violence of Lebanon shall cover you and the spoil of beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood and for the violence of the land of the city and of all that dwell therein. God says you're going to get your comeuppance and then the kingdom of God is going to come and righteousness will be everywhere. Well, God's giving Habakkuk some pretty powerful answers here. Answers that are there for us. We know that the goodness is coming when all of this goes away. So he says, What profits the graven image that the maker thereof has graven it? The molten image and a teacher of lies that the maker of his works trusts therein to make dumb idols. He says, They've got all of this that they've built up that they think is going to save them, and it's not. Instead, the just shall live by faith, trust in God, his kingdom is coming. But all that these people trust in is going away. What profits their idol? Woe to him that says to the wood, Awake, or to the dumb stone, Arise. And isn't that basically the words Ezekiel used on the prophets of Baal? There, there, burn the wood. Pour water on it. Whatever. Are your dumb gods going to answer you? No, Satan's going to be restrained. Says to the dumb stone, Arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. It doesn't make any difference how much gold and silver you coat on this and how much you plate it with so-called righteousness and greatness. It's going down. But the eternal is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. They'll worship their idols. They'll worship Satan. They'll all take the mark of the beast so that they can eat. He says, but you trust in Me. Keep silence before Me. Honor, revere, worship Me because I have the answer for you. Habakkuk has to start feeling a little better along there. Right? Don't you? I do. Just reading that makes me feel a lot better about all this that's going around us. Then he gives a prayer. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shigionoth. Uh, he was, at this point, chastened. He'd been listening to God pronounce evil and give the answer and tell him to live by faith. So now, he decides to prayer, or to pray. O Eternal, I have heard your speech and was afraid. There's some pretty fearful things that God told him in this vision and showed him. I was afraid. O Eternal, revive your work in the midst of all this, in these years, in the midst of your years, make known, in wrath, remember mercy. So he says, here's what I got out of this, Father. I'm in trouble. Trouble's going to increase. The whole nation's going into trouble. You're going to destroy it all, and then you're going to set up your kingdom and the whole earth is going to bow their knee before you and keep silence before all the earth. So he says, 
Yeah, I was afraid when I read all of this. It made me tremble. But I'm asking you to revive your work. Hasn't God's work pretty much been destroyed before our very eyes? That which He did in calling a church and a truth? Pretty well gone. Now He's asking that it be revived. Isn't that what you and I are asking? Time of restitution? Time of restoral? Time when you begin to bless your church again? When you begin to restore and show the world what your kingdom is going to be like through the end time church? Revive your work in the middle of all these years where this is happening is His prayer. And that's my prayer. That's your prayer. That God will turn this around. Make... In, in your wrath. And he's been angry at us. He says, remember mercy. Turn your face back to us in mercy. Just like the other prophecies say. It says, then he rehearses. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Selah. <coughs> his glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. So now instead of bitching at God, he's beginning to praise God. Oh, Real change of attitude here, isn't there? From night to day, from black to white, from misery and frustration to patience and faith and trust and glory to God. That's the message here. That's the prayer he prays. His brightness was as the light, Revelation 1. He had horns coming out of his hand, power from the hand. And there was the hiding of his power. Before him with the pestilence and burning coals went forth at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations. And the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. That's, that's some pretty high language there. That's some pretty inspiring, powerful words about the great God. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. He says, I, there is a great God, and I saw all this trouble. Was the eternal displeased against the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you did ride upon your horses and your chariots of salvation? The waters, the seas, equal people in prophecy. Weren't you upset with them? And didn't you ride through them with the ultimate goal in mind of salvation? Paul says, all Israel shall be saved. The Gentiles are going to be resurrected in the great white throne judgment and most of mankind who's ever lived will ultimately be saved. Habakkuk saw this and then he prayed about it. The chariots of salvation are coming. Didn't Ezekiel talk about the chariots of God? that came in great impressive power. The bow was made quite naked, even according to the oaths of the tribes, even your word. The, the bow and arrow won't mean a thing before God. You did cleave the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and they trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. I can go to quite a few prophecies through the Bible that say the same thing. Different words. The deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. 
Don't we read that in Joel and other places? At the light of your arrows they went, and at the shining of your glittering spear. So, he has a total metamorphosis in his thinking here. He says, I was sitting here looking at the problems and dealing with them and having an attitude. And he says, I decided I better back off. And then God started giving him some good news. Then he began to praise God and to glorify God. And to what? Rehearse the plan of God in his prayer to God. Here's the things you're going to do to this earth and how you're going to straighten it out. So he understood quite a bit about the plan of God. You did march through the land in indignation. You did thresh the heathen in anger. So all these things that Habakkuk was worried about and that God even emphasized are going to get worse, Habakkuk now sees this is going to change. You're going to fix it. You're the fixer. You'll thresh the heathen. You went forth for the salvation of your people. He says, I was worried. How do the wicked seem to be conquering over and ruling the righteous? Oh, now I see. You're going to fix it. (coughs) Even for your salvation with your anointed. The answer will come for us. So he's talking about here at the end is us. Um, you wounded the head out of the house of the wicked. You're going to finally, you're going to take care of the wicked. I see that. By discovering the foundation to the neck, the foundation of this world's culture, God will discover at the neck. What do you do at the neck? You cut the head off. <laughs> this society, this culture is going away. You did strike through with his staves the head of his villages. Those who thought they were great leaders uh, are going down. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was as to devour the poor secretly. So all these people in the church who want to destroy those who are trying to do what's right, all those elitists in the world who have a high view of themselves and what they're going to do to the world are going to get it in the neck. Very clear here. And Habakkuk finally sees this, and he's glorying in it. In other words, he's glorying in God, who has the answers. This is where we need to go. This is the attitude we need to come to have. You did walk through the sea with your horses, through the heap of great waters. Now, what did God tell him before this? that all of our enemies are going to have horses swifter than leopards and they'll be like eagles on the prey. And here he turns it around and says, you're the one that walked through the sea with your horses, through the peoples with your horses. (coughs) All those horses swifter than leopards won't mean a thing when God takes over. Through the heap of great waters. You You went through the people like water. And when I heard this, now when I'd heard all the trouble that's coming, I was afraid. Now when I see what you're going to do, it makes my belly quiver. (coughs) Anticipation and in glory that God is taking a hand. 
My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. He says, I see all this coming, I just as soon die. Isn't that what Paul said? I'd rather just go ahead and die, but for your sake, I think I'll stick around. <coughs> Habakkuk came to the same conclusion. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. So, as bad as what man is going to do, and Satan is going to do, then God is going to do even greater things, is what this prayer is saying. And it will solve all the problems. It's going to be bad, but it will solve the problems. Didn't God tell uh, Ezekiel to eat what I tell you, and it'll make your it'll taste sweet, but it'll make your belly bitter. Didn't he tell the two witnesses in the end of Revelation ten? You're going to go out and give this message. It'll make your belly. It'll make it. It'll sound sweet that it's going to all turn out good, but it's going to be bitter in your belly because there's an awful lot of destruction coming, and pain, and misery, and and death. It's a terrible message, but when it's all done. It will come to peace and prosperity, and the kingdom of God will pervade the whole earth. Part of the message. So then he says, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, says that in Haggai, neither shall fruit be in the vine, says that in Haggai, but on the ninth and twenty-fourth I will bless you, in Haggai. <coughs> saying the same thing here. <coughs> Habakkuk says, I look around and I don't see the fruits of this yet. God's told me. I believe it. I'm going to live in faith. But I don't see the fruit yet. Sound familiar? The labor of the olive shall fail. The field shall yield no food. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. And there shall be no herd in the stalls. So he says, this is the way things are. He says, revive the work in the middle of all this. This is the way it is. Yet, here's, here's, the, here's the whole summary. Here's the whole point. Yet, I will rejoice in the eternal. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I don't think it's just ironic that I made that point in 2002 in the sermon we heard last week where it said, wait in joyful patience. Not impatience. Don't wait in impatience. Don't wait in just patience, but joyful patience. What does Habakkuk say? Right here. I hadn't read this and planned to say it today. In fact, I didn't plan to go through this until 30 minutes before services. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and He will make my feet like deer feet, and He will make me to walk upon my high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. This is going to wind up in beautiful music before God. And we will sing a song that no one else can sing. Because God is going to deliver us. So doesn't he pretty well mirror what we've been going through and what we're about to go through and then gives us God's answer. Then Zephaniah 
proclaims that it's all about to fall apart. So, let's have the right attitude. It's coming, and we'll get through it, and we'll be blessed.